Hey now, I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. It's May the 5th, 2017. This is the Room Now Week in Review. Today we're going to talk about magnesium. Could it possibly help nocturnal leg cramps? And guess what? There's a new, expensive, and also really cheap way of giving methotrexate to kids. And there's a new drug that's been approved by the FDA called abaloperatide. Get out your pencils, we'll talk about it later. At the top of the news, a Japanese study by Tom Taguchi's group looked at the possibility of either escalating or de-escalating the dosing of IV Actemra in patients who are doing well or not doing well. So if you've achieved a low-dose activity state, maybe you could de-escalate. And they changed those patients who had achieved that state at, four, at uh, the usual dose, 8 milligrams per kilogram of IV Actemra. They changed them from every four weeks to every five weeks. And guess what? They did just fine. Likewise, patients who were not doing well, who had not achieved an LDAS, uh, they escalated their frequency from every four weeks to every three weeks, and guess what? They also proved efficacy. So there's good data to actually support going up or down, and you can reference this in patients who you have to give Actemra in, a, in an otherwise uh, dose than Q4 weeks. A study about um, interstitial lung disease and the risk factors of that looked at a large cohort found that the risk factors are many that we know, a few that might surprise you. High disease activity, rheumatoid factor and CCP, smoking, especially in those who are HLA-DR beta-1 allele positive. Uh, and what they did find is that overall, this tends to occur in the first 10 years of RA onset. I've always taught that ILD, as other extra-articular manifestations of RA occur in patients with seropositive, bad disease with long-standing disease. Well, this says they don't have to have really long-standing disease. It can occur within the first 10 years. The FDA has approved a new drug called Examet, X-A-T-M-E-T. It's a oral methotrexate solution at a dose of 25, uh, I'm sorry, 2.5 milligrams per ml. Um, and it's being approved for uh, patients with polyarticular JIA. Um, it's out there and there is the first of its kind in fact but I don't know about you I'm sure this this drug is going to be quite expensive um, like all new methotrexates that have been repurposed uh, for the marketplace I've been using this for uh, for a long while and basically you just get the parenteral solution that comes in a 2 ml vial or 25 ml vial and um, you take the right amount you squirt it into juice or water and you drink it it's hundred percent absorbed um, up to 15 milligrams uh, a week um, and it's just like taking a pill but it's dirt cheap and it can be dr uh, drank so again whether you want to buy the new expensive version or the old cheap version is up to you um, what's the deal with rheumatoid arthritis and cardiovascular disease we, um, is it the RA uh, is it the inflammation is it the test well a recent study actually looked at a number of patients not with RA but just those who had um, uh, SD segment elevation MIs, and they subsetted them according to whether they were ACPA positive or not. They found that patients who are ACPA positive, again, they don't, nobody here has rheumatoid arthritis, these are just SD segment elevated uh, MI, acute MIs, that they had a higher degree of mortality, a threefold higher degree of mortality, and a higher rate of reinfarction, two and a half fold greater rate, uh, if they were ACPA positive compared to those who are ACPA negative, suggesting that. There may be something to the uh, autoantibody, the, the uh, CCP or ACPA positivity that says that there's something going on 
at a um, more basic level, at the vascular level, that may put these people at greater risk for poorer outcomes with myocardial infarction. Um, magnesium oxide for nocturnal cramps has actually been studied. I don't know if you've ever looked into this, and I have. There's very little data about why people get nocturnal cramps. You know, there's a lot of myth and folklore and best advice from your mother-in-law that says that it's bananas and potassium and dehydration and you should fix this by um, running to the refrigerator and squirting mustard in your mouth. Crazy things. But the fact is no one really understands the pathophysiology of this or what really drives the risk. I firmly believe that um, uh, uh, dehydration can be a factor. I don't think there's no evidence that potassium is, is what will cure it. Um, but there is some evidence out there. Maybe it could be magnesium. Uh, you remember in the old days, we actually used to use quinine, the quinine sulfate over the counter with great success, but the FDA took that off the market, suggesting that there may have been some cardiac risks associated with over-the-counter quinine use. Nonetheless, there's been this study that of 94 patients showing that magnesium oxide really did not achieve better outcomes than placebo in preventing and treating those with nocturnal leg cramps. Um, if you want to make yourself famous, go into the nocturnal leg cramp research business, and I think you'll do fine. Um, I wrote down as a, just a, a thought this week that you should praise your patients for a few things. Losing weight, uh, stopping smoking, achieving remission, that you measure and say, congratulations, ta-da, your CDI or your DAS score is X and that they should buy into that. Also their birthdays and important events, including important life events. Um, someone in Twitter actually said, Room Now is being kind of strict or hard in his demands or, you know, I thought it was sort of an odd statement, but it's not, not I don't think I am being too um, uh, demanding or uh, of what we should do our patients. Uh, Remember, rheumatologists went into rheumatology because of the relationships with patients. Uh, and we need to foster that. And, you know, to praise patients for these milestone and big achievements really helps the relationship quite a bit. Um, a very interesting study answers the question about FM and ankylosing spondylitis. I, I, I personally can't imagine the overlap here, but there are some people who believe that there's a subset of those who have spondylitis or would-be spondylitis who in fact really have fibromyalgia. Well, uh, a study of 99 fibromyalgia patients took a different look at this and they actually MRI'd these patients looking for evidence of uh, inflammation um, and sacroiliac involvement in the FM patients. And what they did find was that 8% of patients met criteria for axial spondyloarthropathy um, and, um, and that uh, MRI sacroiliac, I'm sorry, that was 10%. 8% actually had evidence of MRI sacroiliitis. So um, I asked in the tweet, you know, could ankylosing spondylitis be masquerading as FM? Um, and uh, a few people wrote back on, on Twitter that they thought it could. Um, it may be something to consider in patients who meet the, meet the profile of spondylitis, young, inflammatory back pain. Uh, they may have other features and, and maybe further investigation is warranted. Personally, I don't think I'll be doing MRIs to diagnose spondylitis uh, in all my FM patients. The FDA has accepted the, um, the uh, BLA application for the biologic uh, uh, ceruleumab, an IL-6 inhibitor. Uh, this comes from uh, Sanofi and Regeneron. Um, they've accepted the application, the PDUFA action date to, for decision about whether this drug should be approved or not for um, moderate to severe active rheumatoid arthritis will come in late May. Uh, 
an interesting early arthritis study looked at what is the utility of an MRI in early arthritis patients. So what is the predictive value of doing MRI? And quite interestingly, they showed, number one, that 14% of their very large cohort, this comes from the Leiden, uh, or was it the Leeds? So I think it was the Leeds uh, early arthritis clinic, early undifferentiated arthritis clinic. 14% of patients developed um, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and they found that MRI evidence of tenosynovitis um, did have a significant predictive value for the development of RA, an odds ratio of 7.5. Not having MRI tenosynovitis had a negative predictive value of 95%, whereas having tenosynovitis by MRI had a positive predictive value of 25%, suggesting that in early arthritis population, maybe there is a role for doing um, early MRI. Um, an interesting study comes from uh, multiple groups, five uh, groups, four in the United States, one in Italy, that looked at um, the, the disease that is seen in children called enthesitis-related arthritis. This is a subset of those older onset posiarticular or oligoarticular patients who have spondylitis-related disease, but specifically looks at enthesitis. There are ILR criteria, and these five centers enrolled um, there are several hundreds of patients. I think it was over 400 patients. They showed that 78% of these uh, children had a posi-articular posi onset JIA, that 23% were ANA positive at the outset, and that SED rates and CRPs were less uh, were not present in um, in in half. In fact, 46% uh, for SED rates and 27% uh, or so for CRPs. B27 was seen in a little bit more than half the patients that was associated with being male, having higher uh, active joint counts, sacroiliitis, and an older age at onset, meaning over the getting closer to 16 as opposed to being over the age of nine. So this group has characterized this, uh, this population of ERA, enthesitis-related arthritis, may be useful for you, those of you who take care of children. Cassie Calabrese wrote an interesting article taken um, in the literature uh, about the risk of veno, venous thromboembolism in patients who have ANCA-associated vasculitis. A study, uh, uh, a study of four different cohorts in four different European vasculitis studies looked at 417 patients and found 41 of them developing VTE, so about 10% risk of developing VTE. Um, half these people had GPA, the other half had um, micropolyangiitis and, and, and uh, renal-associated ANCA disease. Uh, and overall, the risk factors uh, or the associations with VTE were seen in those with higher creatinine and those who had either skin or GI invol involvement, according to the BVAS, the Birmingham Vasculitis Activity Score. So um, those are the people who might be at risk, again, a 10% risk overall. And lastly, the FDA has recently approved a baliparatide. The trade name of this is going to be called Timlos, T-Y-M-L-O-S. It's only going to be approved, however, for high-risk postmenopausal osteoporosis patients, those who've had a prior fracture, those who had recurrent fractures, and those who are unable to take other existing osteoporosis preventative therapies. So this is a new anabolic agent that um, is, sounds a little bit like teriparatide, also known as Forteo, um, but this is the new one on the block. It's going to be also a daily sub-Q injection. It's also going to have the two-year disease uh, use restriction because uh, it too has a dose-dependent risk of osteosarcoma, so there's a two-year limit until they can study it further. Um, it's been shown very well to prevent uh, both vertebral and non-vertebral fractures and will be in a pharmacy near you.
by January, um, or actually I think they said, they said June of 2017. That's it for Room Now. Um, be sure to go to look at our Twitter feed. Um, we had a lot of big tweets and about over 100 tweets from last week's uh, SOTA meeting, State of the Art meeting from the ACR in Chicago. A lot of them from great speakers, um, uh, and I think you would find that to be a nice review. You can go to the Room Now website and find the citations for these reports. Um, tune in, register, we'll see you next week.